episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show. We're bringing you another fascinating guest today, helping to create a better tomorrow on many different fronts. Uh, today, we have the honor of being joined by Dr. Mona Flores, who is Global Head of Medical Artificial Intelligence at NVIDIA, the American multinational technology company, developer slash innovator of the graphics processing unit, uh, where she oversees the company's artificial intelligence initiatives in medicine uh, and healthcare, ultimately uh, to bridge the chasm between technology and medicine. Uh, Dr. Flores first joined NVIDIA in 2018 with a focus on uh, developing their healthcare ecosystem. Uh, before that, she served as the chief medical officer of the digital health company, Human Resolution Technologies, and that was after a 25-year career in medicine and cardiothoracic surgery. Uh, Dr. Flores received her medical degree from Oregon Health and Science University, uh, followed by a general surgical residency at University of California at San Diego, a postdoc fellowship at Stanford, and a cardiothoracic surgery a residency and fellowship at Columbia. Uh, Dr. Flores also has a master's of biology from San Jose State, uh, as well as an MBA uh, from the University of Albany uh, School of Business. And, and uh, before she got involved in medicine, she actually worked as an investment banker for several years uh, prior to uh, pursuing this passion for medicine and technology. A lot of interesting topics to talk about today, but Dr. Mona Flores, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you for having me, Ida. It's great to have you. Um, I'd love to start off, and you've had a, a fascinating uh, career, several different types of careers before NVIDIA. I'd love to start off with a little bit about you, uh, if you could sort of take us back, uh, everything from where you grew up, uh, how you developed your, your initial interest well, I guess in investment banking, uh, and a little bit of what got you interested in medicine uh, and away, sort of away from the stock market and everything you were doing on that front. I think that'd be a great thing to to start off with. Yeah, it's it's certainly a a very circuitous route to where am I, I am today. And I, you know, if you had asked me thirty years ago, what where would you want to be? I, I'm not sure what the answer would have been then. Um, it, it's kind of funny. It's like people ask, like, "Oh, well, you started in business and then you went to medicine, and now you're back in business." And and it, it's it's true. It's kind of full circle. However, I I actually always wanted to be in medicine. Uh, when when I was little, I I grew up uh, in a in a country. I grew up in Lebanon. Um, it was during the civil war. Um, medicine was to me. It was surgery as a kid, because those were the ones, the surgeons were the ones who actually helped save lives. So I grew up always saying, I wanna be a surgeon, not really knowing exactly what it entails. And then, you know, and when, when I got uh, to my college years, I realized that actually medicine is a huge undertaking and it, it's, it takes years. And, and I really wanted to get out of the country. I, I, was, I was sick of being in war. I wanted to be, you know, to, to be able to be uh, independent enough to be able to to get out, and uh, business was the fastest route to do that. So I, even though I started as I actually started as a psychology pre med at mm -hmm. the American University of Beirut, I switched to 
uh, business and uh, finished my bachelor's and then got out uh, straight to go to business school. And then I, you know, that was the 80s, investment banking was in its heyday. Everyone wanted to be on Wall Street, you know, as a, as a young uh, person at the time, it, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, I lived in New York City. I loved it. I, I loved the work. It was, you know, it went with my personality. It was very high intense and, and you know, very demanding. And, and that's something I always, I guess, gravitated towards these high stress situations. So I worked there for a few years and then I realized that, you know, what I always wanted to do was medicine. When I picked up a Wall Street journal, I actually looked at the healthcare section. <laughs> I did not, you know, I, I was more interested in that. So I decided to take a sabbatical of sorts and, and try it out. So I went back and I had to do all my pre-meds because I had not um, done any, you know, when I switched to business, I stopped taking pre-med courses. So I, I went to California. I took a year and a half to take all of my pre-meds uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, went to medical school uh, in Oregon. And I loved every minute of it. I thought it was amazing. Uh, I continued to be interested in surgery. And I tried, you know, I, w- I went to a school where it, where it really uh, emphasized primary care. Um, and, I, and I tried to be open-minded and I tried to get, to get interested in, in being a primary care physician and just wasn't working for me. It was surgery all the way. So I, you know, it was a, a long way to get into surgery. And, and then, so I finished general surgery and I actually really got entranced with the heart. The first time I actually touched it as a second uh, year resident in general surgery. I was doing a rotation and I was able to scrub on cardiac cases. So I, you know, after finishing general surgery, I went and I I did uh, cardiac surgery and and did an extra fellowship in beds and what have you. And and I loved every minute of of it. I loved practicing. I loved my patients. I I loved the the actual, you know, again, going back to the intensity and the stress level. And, you know, I I loved that. I, I loved the... Uh, the instant gratification that you get from being able to save someone right there on the table. Uh, and, and then after a few years of that, I started thinking about the bigger impact. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a cardiac surgeon, you, you touch a lot of lives. But even if you operate, even if you're doing two, three surgeries a day, how many lives are you going to touch? You know, 5,000 lives, 6,000 lives in any ovary carrier. <laughs> so it's, it, it became apparent to me that actually, and, and I always, by the way, was very interested in computers. So going back to my MBA years, my, um, my concentration was in management information systems because mm-hmm. I, I actually liked computers then and, and I worked on expert systems. This is like way before the, the new era of AI. So I, you know, I said when, when, when I was practicing, I, you know, I, I, I continued to be very interested in computers and, and interested in, in all this new thing that's happening with AI. So I, you know, after a while, I decided that, you know, perhaps I could have a better and a bigger impact, uh, not a better impact, actually, for sure, but a, a bigger impact by by being able to to improve medicine on the whole and being able to infuse medicine with new intelligence that can actually help millions versus uh, just a few people. So that's my journey. And I, you know, I started with a digital health company and, and ended up here at NVIDIA. And it's it's going great. 
And what I just, uh, you know, one area that, you know, it's been circuitous, but along the way, you know, I just found this interesting. I mean, you could say there's a couple of things, you know, as you are practicing cardiothoracic surgery at UC Davis, you started working at that time with left ventricular assist devices. And then when you went to human resolution technologies, you got involved in sort of some of these very cutting edge areas that are now getting hot, telehealth, remote patient monitoring. Um, has it always been sort of for you, just personally, and we'll get to NVIDIA in a minute, but for you, has, has the sort of the medical device area, sort of the, the silicon side of things always been, uh, or, or have you also been interested in bio, in a sort of more of the biologic or the carbon stuff as well? Is that, or has it mainly been the silicon that's excited you as you've developed uh, your, uh, your specialties over time? I think what what really interested me was was the impact that we could have was was the fact that there's many things that we do today in medicine that are outdated, many things that could be done better, and and it doesn't have to be as sexy as as you know uh, curing cancer. It could be as as sexy as as figuring out how you can get you scheduled for your MRI without without spending hours on the phone and, and taking two weeks to do that. When I went to human resolution technology, well, one of the things that I always found really frustrating when I was uh, practicing cardiac surgery is you take care of these patients and especially, you know, my, my ventricular assist device patients, they're very sick patients, they're very dear to me mm -hmm. and they get, you know, they, they needed constant follow-up. And then you, you operate on these patients in the hospital you are watching them like a mother hen, <laughs> you know, 24 seven, every, you know, every, every bit that's happening is being watched and evaluated and assessed so that they can get a better recovery. And then they go home. And then, you know, for, at least for that patients, we had more follow-up, but for, you know, if I had done an aortic valve replacement, I would see that patient maybe one week after surgery and six weeks after, and that's it. And in the meantime, they're like at home trying to recover on their own. And there's so many things that could go wrong that if we are able to monitor it, if we're able to give them even a fraction of the attention that we gave them when they were in the hospital, mm -hmm. they would actually get better faster than they will continue to stay healthy. So that, that was what attracted me to human resolution technologies. This is what we were doing. We were trying to help them with the recovery, be their coach, monitor them, monitor their vitals, make sure that we actually intervene before bad things happen and make sure that they don't end up back in the hospital sick. Um, so I, I think that's the aspect that I really enjoyed. And that's mm -hmm. the aspect that I really enjoy today in AI. It's, like it, it's going to move medicine. I, I keep people sometimes get the stuff at me because I say from the dark ages, <laughs> but but in a lot of way, medicine is still still an art, and it's still you know you can get better surgeries depending on what surgeon you go to. You mm -hmm. can get better treatment, better diagnostics depending where you live. So how how can we actually move closer to to a real science? How can we move closer to a precision medicine where not everyone is getting the same treatment just because we're, we're humans? We're, mm -hmm. Yes, we are, but we're also very different, right? So th that that uh, evolution of medicine and, and the ability to participate in that is what's really attracted me to this field. Excellent, excellent. 
And, and you know, but it's funny because I, I always, uh, I, I usually tell my kids about um, who I'm interviewing and what company they're from uh, ahead of time. And, you know, usually I get a yawn, but I said, you know, I said NVIDIA uh, this morning and they went crazy. They're like, oh, cool, dad, you're going to talk about video games. And, and I'm like, no, we're talking about medicine. And then they just walked away and, and, and did whatever. But, um, you know, the, the fascinating thing, you know, obviously NVIDIA, giant company uh, known for its graphics processing units, obviously uh, AI, came along, even involved in you know, all sorts of things in terms of self-driving cars and, and, and all sorts of other applications. Um, talk a little bit about uh, why, uh, obviously we see all that, you know, from the Microsofts to the Googles and so forth on down, getting involved in health and health tech. Um, why did NVIDIA decide, hey, uh, we're gonna get involved in this, this health stuff and we're gonna, get this Dr. Mona Flores, cardiothoracic surgeon extraordinaire to come in and lead this ecosystem. Yeah, so just as uh, a clarification, you know, I, I lead the, the medical AI piece, but our, our VP of healthcare is Kimberly Powell, and she is over the overall leader of the organization, okay. of the healthcare organization. <laughs> I'll give you credit though. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I, what what Nvidia does, and I think that's something Jensen always say, says that we want to work on problems that are very difficult. We also want to work on problems that have a that have a societal human impact, and we also want to work on problems that we are uniquely positioned to be able to help. And I think healthcare is 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 one of those. It is a, it is a very difficult problem, but it definitely is, is very important for humanity and, and society. And with the capabilities that we have today, with our GPUs and and the advent of deep learning and and its ability to to utilize that GPUs, we're in a position to actually do a great good. And we yeah. are, we are able, you know, and, and different to other companies, we, we are not getting into healthcare as in let's go and, and invent the next uh, MRI scanner or, or let's go and, and have this application to treat schizophrenia. Or, that, that's not where we are. What we are doing is actually giving people tools to do mm -hmm. that and, and, mm -hmm. and because we are very well positioned to do that. You know, we are not a healthcare company. We are sure. not, we don't have all the domain expertise to create a medical, you know, at, at, at that level of interface, uh, the medical applications, but we have all of the tools and ingredients for people to cook up their own applications and to be able to use their domain expertise along with our computing and our full stack uh, to be able to create these medical uh, advancements and medical applications and new drugs and what have you. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, you recently... Um, uh, published a piece, uh, I think it was on the, yeah, it was the, the NVIDIA blog. It was entitled, uh, Medical AI Needs Federated Learning uh, So Well Every Industry. And, you know, you talk about uh, in this particular uh, article, uh, recently also published Nature Medicine uh, about um, this unique federated learning system uh, an interesting project related to, to SARS-CoV-2 across multiple institutes, looking at uh, the ability of, of technology to predict future oxygen requirements and affect the patients and, and all sorts of other fascinating data. Um, introduce us, if you would, to, we talked a little bit about AI on the show in the past, but what exactly is federated learning? Well, 
that's something very close to my heart. <laughs> Take some time. Uh, and it, it, it's not, it's not, uh, no pun intended being a heart surgeon, but it, <laughs> this is really, that's something very exciting. And I, I got to work very closely with it and, and, and get it actually to where it is today at NVIDIA and very proud of its work. So what, if you think about AI, and if you think, just, just take a deep learning model. One of the, the problems with deep learning is that, you know, as powerful as it is, it needs a lot of data. It yeah. needs to ingest tons and tons of data for it to work. Uh, and, and this data is, is hard to get by uh, for, for many different reasons. You can think of if you're trying to develop a model for a rare childhood disease, where if, if you have a hospital either, you might have five patients with this disease. Another hospital might have 20. Somewhere in Africa, they might have, you know, 100. Uh, maybe maybe in Asia, a hospital could have 200. But it is, there's a lot of data. It's like, and if you bring all of these hospitals together, they have a lot of data, but it's distributed. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And everyone is holding on to their data. Now, why do they hold on to their data? It, it, it is, um, you know, if you think about it, in, in a nice way, people hold on to the data because it's private. This is this is uh, and it's it's uh, uh, it's regulated. You know, we have we have HIPAA, we have GDPR. There's all these regulations that that don't allow us to be able to access data. So hospitals a lot of time use that as you know that's why we can't share the data with with model developers. However, I, I think there's a more sinister reason, and and that is you know data is money, and and if, if you have the data, you have the power to commercial you know create products and commercialize them. So people are, are very protective of that. Now, how do we how do we enable the field to continue forward, and to, how do we enable startups and academia and other companies? you know, to develop these AI applications for medicine without having the data centralized in one place enters federated learning. With federated learning, you are able to, and I actually, I always say, you know, um, tongue in cheek, I'd say hide and seek game because you're hiding the data, you're not at, you're not seeing the data, okay. but you are get you are seeking the knowledge. You're getting the knowledge from the data. So I'm able to learn from the data without without actually having the data in my possession without being able to view the data, without being able to see a CT scan, but I can actually get the learnings from the model having, you know, learning from your CT scan. So we keep the data localized in all of these places. You know, obviously you have to have agreements between all of these places to cooperate, to develop a model, or you have to have some financial agreement, what have you. Mm -hmm. And then we, you have this, this mechanism, this, and this is our new FD, uh, SDK, called NVIDIA Flare, which by the way, we just open sourced last week at LSNA. So now it's an open source SDK that anyone can use and can even commercialize on it as an Apache uh, 2.0 license. So you you take this this SDK and you are able to, to do federated learning between different collaborators and be able to get to a model that very much approximates the model that you would have gotten if you had all of the data centralized. Mm -hmm. The advantage now is not only do you have more data, because you're able to cooperate remotely with so many different people, you are having a much more diverse data set than you would have if you it was just one or two hospitals. Uh, you know, a lot of the studies today, there was, I think it was 
what was it and many I, I forget but there was there was some article that came just came out about how you know ai is is, is not generalizing and you train these models and and you think they they work and then you take it to a different hospital and they don't work why is that because they are overfitting to that specific population they were trained on now, if you can train on more data and on very different data, data that's coming, like let's take CT scanner data, it's coming from different scanners, it's coming mm -hmm. from, from different types of people, it's, it's coming from people who were subjected to different treatment algorithms. The, the model is able now to, you know, because it's so more, it's able mm -hmm. to be more general. And this is what we showed with the exam study that was published, as you said, in, in Nature Medicine. So that was a study where we were looking at patients that we didn't know if they had COVID or not, but they presented to the emergency room with symptoms, mm -hmm. uh, suspicious for COVID. They had a fever, they had a cough, uh, and, and we were able to, from a chest x-ray that they got in the ER, and a few lab values that you can get from any EMR yep. to predict is this patient that I'm seeing today, I'm an emergency room physician, let's say, and I see this patient today, is, are they going to need oxygen in 24 hours? Are they going to need it in 72 hours? How much oxygen are they going to need? What does that mean? Now you can actually triage these patients and you can say, you know, Mr. Jones is going to be just fine. So we can, we can, we can send him home with close observation. Uh, but but um, Mr. I don't know Darwin is is, is gonna have to be directly sent to the ICU because he's gonna crash and it, it looks like he's he's going to need to be intubated. So that's information that you know that's that's very helpful as adjunct information for the for the physician that is trying to make decisions in 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 a very you know source constrained. Uh, hospital where you know beds are, are scarce and, and and nursing staff is scarce and, and what have and equipment and PPE. So you want to make sure that you actually take care of the patients who are really going to get sick mm -hmm. and, and make sure they get to where they need to be. Uh, so we we went and and talked to and you know perhaps what what made this easier is it was COVID and people were just scrambling to, to want to do something. This is what was before we even had vaccinations. So everyone was just yeah. really, really eager to help. Uh, so when we went and uh, I tried recruiting these organizations, it, it, you know, perhaps it was because of that, it was easier, an easier recruitment process. And uh, so we worked with 20 organizations uh, across the world and they, they kept the data where they are. They use their own local uh, compute. Some use compute on the cloud. And we were able to train this model that actually performed better at each one of the hospitals than what they could have been able to train on their own. Because, you know, again, some had a lot of data, some didn't have a lot of data, but even the hospitals that had a lot of data, the general model was even better than their own data because it had, you know, it had seen so much. So, you know, so federated learning allows you to train models, allows you to validate models remotely. And it, it also is, you know, allows you to create generalizable models that would work better than, than one model trained at a single institution. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, th I thank you for that because I, you know, uh, that, that, that was uh, uh, to the point. And uh, for someone like me that, is not that, that talks to AI people, but it's not in the AI space. That was that was spot on, and I understood everything you said. Um, Perfect. The so you know that was the the Florida 
experiment or the Florida paradigm, you know, as the paper talks about, you know, here's a, a, a an excellent, actually a COVID, but a pulmonary example. Um, in another partnership of uh, the NVIDIA organization uh, is a, uh, which was actually incubated, and we'll get into the, your inception program in a little bit, but this uh, Arturus company, uh, which I think recently had an FDA approval for something called Cardio AI and, and has a whole suite of products. Can you talk a little bit, uh, talked about the pulmonary side, talk a little bit about uh, some of what you're seeing on the cardiovascular artificial intelligence uh, and what you're excited about in terms of uh, applications of, of technologies like federated learning to, to, to cardiovascular side of things. Yeah, well, well again, uh, federated learning can be applied to, to all sorts of, uh, it can be applied to deep learning, it can be applied to machine learning, it can be applied in, in healthcare, it can be applied different modalities in healthcare, it can even be applied you know, somewhere else, if, if you're trying to think uh, in, in the financial world, if they're trying to to develop a model for fraud detection, uh, you can train it also in, in a federated way. Uh, so uh, specifically, you know, for, for cardiac disease and for cardiology and cardiac surgery, a lot of what we have today is, uh, well, the things that, you know, are top of mind is recently Mount Sinai, had a study where they looked at EKGs mm. and with with those EKGs they were able to predict heart failure now you know th for us to have to have to diagnose heart failure and that you know you have to look at echocardiograms you have to look at, at the whole patient you have to get histories you have to get lab tests and, and now to be able to just say if someone has heart failure just from looking at the EKG tracing Mm -hmm. That is that's mind blowing, and that you know, and and they were able to do that using AI. Um, same thing, actually, they were able to look at EKG. This is, I think, at the Mayo, they were able to look at EKGs and tell someone's age from an EKG. And and one one thing that I always found fascinating is, and, and one of the cardiologists there was telling me is, they they trained this model to tell the age of the patient from an EKG tracing, and and the model was working fine. And then one time. The model predicted someone's age at like at 36 when, when the patient was in the 70s. Mm. And they're like, you know, what's happened? It's like, why? And before it was predicting it right. And now it's not, it, it hasn't. Like the second time they tested it, it predicted a younger age. And as it turned out, actually, the patient had a transplant in the meantime. And, and the EKG basically picked up on this new heart that was a younger heart in this patient. Wow. So I, I find that mind blowing. It, yeah. It's just like this is something that it, it just tells you that there is so much information in the data that we we cannot um, utilize today that we, we are not capitalizing on because we don't see it. Mm -hmm. You know, when when the when the Mayo uh, clinic at uh, Brad Erickson's group, they they looked at glioblastoma and, mm -hmm. and from mm -hmm. from CT scans in the brain and they were able to get a biomarker that tells you what type of glioblastoma it is, what's, what's the underlying, sure. you know, genetic variant so that you can actually now treat as it, you can treat it without having to do a biopsy of the brain. That's huge, right? Yeah. So I, I think in cardiology and cardiac surgery specifically, I think we're still at the stage where a lot of things are coming from imaging, whether it's EKG tracing, whether it's it's uh, applications to, to detect, uh, you know, echo echocardiograms, ultrasounds to be able to to measure automatically ejection fraction. Uh, there is actually a 
there's a system from Caption AI, and they, they're one of uh, our Inception members. And what they have done is they have an FDA cleared echocardiogram uh, and a probe that you can either, if you're not trained in doing ultrasonography, you're still able to take this probe and, and do an echocardiogram and it kind of, it, it walks you through it. It's like, mm-hmm. go left, go right to get the better view. And so, so now like, you know, anyone can do an, an echo in the middle of the night. You don't have to call a cardiology fellow to come and do an echo for you. You're able to do it. Anyone can do it. You know, the nurse at the bedside can do an echocardiogram. So things like that are, are really moving the field forward. And then, of course, you have all of the all sorts of predictive modeling that's coming from AIs. Sure. Who's, who's going to who, who's gonna, uh, get sicker? Who's, who's going to... Uh, get diabetes over time, you know, all sorts of things that would inform your management and your treatment for someone uh, with heart disease. And then you have you have companies uh, uh, like HeartFlow, for instance, that is able to tell you from a CT uh, angiogram today, just from a CT, uh, what is, if do you have coronary artery disease and, and they they actually measure something called the fractional um, flow reserve. And that is something that we could only measure invasively before using using catheters during a, an a invasive angiogram. Well, today you can get the same information from a CT scan and you can decide what, you know, can, does this patient need surgery? Do they need a stent? Do they need both? So lots, lots of tools are being developed today and companies are going there to do not only inform you for diagnostics, but also to have you visualize things when you're doing ablation uh, for, for AFib, are you able to see where exactly did you ablate and, and, and guide you through this ablation procedures? Uh, there's a company that's doing that where they have the computer right there in the cat lab as you're doing the ablation to help with the procedure. Uh, so there's, there's uh, I think, Intuitive. Is it intuitive? I think it's intuitive that just came up with a new catheter that that for being able to do uh, to do a biopsy, uh, a lung biopsy through bronchoscopy uh, automatically. It's it's almost like auto navigation of this bronchoscope. So I, I think we've seen some applications today. We're going to see so much more in the future. Arteries, by the way, you know, going back to your original question, was one of the first companies that got FDA clearance for visualizations of, mm-hmm. of the heart and being able to see the different sections of the heart or what have you. They also have a marketplace where they're able to uh, have, a, you know, if you have a, an AI application, you can put it on their marketplace and people can use that. Uh, so I, I think they're doing great stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you, you mentioned uh, the so Artis was is part of this uh, Nvidia Inception Accelerator program. And, you know, I was looking at this and um, sort of to create it to support startups making exceptional advances in the field of AI and data science. And uh, as of just a couple of months ago in August. 8,500 members, 90 countries, cumulative funding of $60 billion. So you, I mean, you really are building the ecosystem. And, you know, I can see how, you know, the federated learning, if it can connect all sorts of data across 90 countries and, and all these members, you're really uh, putting putting a lot of resources into, into building this ecosystem up. Talk a little bit how the NVIDIA Inception program works. What exactly 
Uh, are you, do you look for, are, the, are these startup companies, are they university labs? How does, how does this all work? They're usually startup companies and, okay. and they uh, can be at any stage. Uh, we, have, we have two tiers, one's for early developing, uh, for, for companies that are just, just starting mm-hmm. and they are wanting to use AI and they are using our technology, uh, you know, our, our hardware or our software. Uh, and then there, we have companies that are already in production. Mm. What the inception program does is it's, it's a virtual accelerator of sorts. Okay. So it, it allows you to be part of a community where you can network with others, where we actually uh, have connection opportunities with investors. And, and, you know, we have pitch days where you could come and, and, and pitch your product. We also, uh, you have early access to all of our SDKs. You have a constant communication from our um, developer uh, developer uh, forum and, and, and environment so that you're, you know, you're up to date on all the news. You get discounts to, uh, on hardware to start you off. You know, this mm-hmm. is not for you to continue to get these discounts over time, sure. but it's just in the beginning for, for you to be able to actually you know, test your ideas and your prototypes or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also get cloud credits to, to also do some, um, some uh, prototyping and, and some work. Um, so I, you know, I, I think it's, it's just a supportive community. And if you need, if you need help, let's say, you know, you developed something, but you have questions uh, in order to take it to the next step, you know, mm-hmm. we can, our experts can help. Uh, we, depending on, on what exactly you're doing, we can have real deep expertise and, and DevTechs looks at, at the code even uh, in, in order to uh, improve your code. Uh, or, you know, if, if you're just, most of these startups actually have amazing experts and mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. data scientists and developers. So uh, just a guiding hand along the way as they are developing things. Excellent. Um, Mona, coming back to um, some of your earlier work in uh, telehealth, remote patient monitoring. Um, obviously, uh, you know, we, we, we focus a lot on, on the, the theme of healthy aging on the show and sort of this principle well, in recent years, uh, this principle of, of aging in place, the smart home, um, smart healthcare in the home. Um, talk a little bit, if you would, about some of your visions for sort of the integration of these two things. So on one hand, we have, you know, uh, these complex analyses uh, of, of, of heart and lungs and so forth, but also uh, an increasing population, uh, an elderly population that uh, might not want to be in a, a, an aged care home or an elder care home, but wants to age comfortably in, at place. The technologies are developing all around us to create the smart home. What are some of your visions for uh, what the sort of healthy aging, aging in place home of the future looks like with some of these technologies? Yeah, I, I think... Have you? Did you actually see our GTC, our latest GTC, and and Toy Jensen? Did you? If you no, have, I, I, I read actually, an article that you wrote about of telehealth last year, but I, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, no, actually, was it this one? past GTC, if you just go go up and look up the keynote, the GTC keynote, okay, uh, with Jensen, and 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 look up something. It's it's an avatar. Uh, it's called Toy Jensen, and it's a little avatar of. Uh, Jensen, uh, an intelligent toy that is able to answer all sorts of questions and uh, synthesize okay. information. So take that a level further and, okay. and, and think how, how 
that could be, you know, that could be the Alexa of, of healthcare okay. uh, in, in someone's home. It can be a companion. Uh, it can be someone who is watching over you, someone who can react. Uh, you, you know, one cool thing about working at NVIDIA is you see that there's so many technology, like so many different groups working on so many different things. And the ability to put them all together to serve a, to create one useful application is, is just mind blowing. Yep. Um, so you, you can imagine a very smart NLP model powering an avatar like the Stoy Jensen uh, mm-hmm. that, that, would, that would help in the home. You can uh, look at all of our, um, uh, our deep stream applications and being able to, to develop models from video surveillance, uh, you know, from being able to look at the video of a patient and, and see if they're falling or uh, see if they've had any activity and, and alert you. It's like, you know, grandma has not moved for the past three hours from her chair. <laughs> Maybe someone needs to check on her. Um, and so, so there's, there's definitely more and more wearables and, and monitors that can actually get information from, from the environment around you and, and be able to, you know, to, to get the information from perhaps a smartwatch that you're wearing or a camera that is in your home or, um, you know, a thermal detector or, or what have you, and, and then be able to use that to create solutions and applications to help these patients live more independently. And, you know, and one of the things that's really sad about old ages is not everyone has a family around them and not yeah. everyone has, has someone that can take care of them. And how do you provide companionship when it's, it's so scary? I don't know if you've ever tried to, to hire someone to come and help with, with a child, let alone a senior citizen. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult. There's not enough people go around to help. No. So can we, can we somehow give them companionship with this AI and, and, that give them a guardian per se and, and, and to protect them and, and to just make sure that they're okay and, and alert people if they're not. Uh, I, I think that will go a long way towards making their life more pleasant, uh, mm-hmm. more healthy. <laughs> and and then, you know, other information that we can get before people get sick. And this doesn't, this doesn't just apply to, to uh, older patients but for for us for everybody it's like why do we have to wait until we are sick and then intervene like medicine mm-hmm. is so reactive today yep. can we actually predict beforehand who's gonna get sick and, and make sure that you know they they lose weight or they exercise more or or maybe they start taking this one medicine so that they don't get diabetes in the future so that they don't go down that you know, spiraling vicious circle of disease. Yeah. And and I think that's the promise of AI. It's, it's going to allow us to predict things earlier. It's allow us to monitor things better. It's allow us to get new drugs that actually work better with, you know, we have a whole stack of drug discovery tools today at NVIDIA that can help companies generate new molecules that have never been seen before, mm-hmm. uh, be able to do all kinds of simulations to figure out what, mo- what molecule works for what disease and, and do that much faster. So, you know, I think we're getting there. I, I think that landscape is very promising. And I, I think the world in, in a few years is going to be very different than the world we see now. I agree with you on that front. Absolutely, 100%. It's going to be an exciting few years, exciting future. Um, Mona, I, 
I, you know, you, you're out there, uh, I don't know the last couple of years as much, but you, you've been on, you know, a lot of artificial intelligence, machine learning conferences and so forth. Obviously, COVID put uh, a little, uh, uh, slowed that down a bit. But what's, uh, what's coming up for you in 2022, places we can uh, see you present, uh, TED Talks you may be giving, what, what, what's hot in 2022 and beyond that you might want to mention uh, while we have you? Yeah, well, just coming up is actually JP Morgan, and yep. I'm going to be on a panel of, uh, I'm sorry, not at JP Morgan, at um, uh, Precision World Medicine. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to be on a panel over there. And uh, I I don't know. I don't know what, what the future is going to bring. <laughs> the AI should tell uh, you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's a, there's a lot of conferences, and it's just uh, at at some point you you know it's funny you said with COVID things have slowed down. I I'm not sure actually that they have because with with the advent of virtual conferencing and and meetings and what have you, I think people have gotten busier, and it's become almost easier to host a virtual conference and perhaps less costly. So there's been a lot of those. Uh, I, I recently actually keynoted at uh, a conference in Asia, in Taiwan, uh, Futex, and that would have probably not been possible if it wasn't virtual. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think it's, it's created different kinds of opportunities. Very exciting. Very exciting. Well, it's 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 a fascinating portfolio, um, and, and everything you're doing is uh, is just you know as we say on this show, you know, it's all about creating a better tomorrow. And clearly, uh, this ecosystem that you've been developing there uh, at the intersection of tech and medicine is just uh, so vital and in uh, in in creating the, this better world for all of us, uh, COVID and beyond. So, really, really fascinating and to keep watching what you're up to and rooting you on um, for everybody that's going to be uh, listening to this episode uh, on the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel. Uh, you've been listening to Dr. Mona Flores, Global Head of Medical Artificial Intelligence at NVIDIA, uh, developing their fascinating healthcare ecosystem at the intersection of medicine and tech. Uh, Mona, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to, to come talk to us for a little while. Obviously, thank you for everything you're doing there. And once again, as we say on this show, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow for all of us. A really fascinating story. Thank you so much, Ida. This, this has been a pleasure. And just, just one last word. Please. You know, I, I just would implore everyone to be patient with AI. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not magic. Things are not going to happen overnight. It takes time, and specifically in healthcare. But we're going right. to get there. So just Wonderful. be patient. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. And thank you for what you're doing. Thank you.